0: All right, good morning, Faith Church. How's it going, everybody? All right, man, it's good to have everybody in the house. I want to welcome all of our Faith Church family. Glad you guys are here with us this weekend. Hey, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and it is my privilege to have everybody in the house especially our first-time guests. If you are uh, first-time here, man, we want you to know you are a VIP to us. You're very important. We're glad that you're here. But whether this is your first time or you're here every weekend, our hope and prayer for everybody is that God will show up and speak something profound to your life and change your heart forever. Amen? Hey, can we welcome everybody online? Let's give it up, especially for the Lawrenceburg campus. Hey, it's good to have you guys in the house. All right, well listen, uh, last week we started uh, a series for November, a series that we have kind of done different ways over the last several years that has become one of my favorite series of the year, where we take the first two letters in the word November, no, and shape a whole series around it. Several years ago, we started talking about No Fear, November, and then No Doubt, November. Several years ago, we did a No Big Deal, November, and today, uh, we're in week two of a series we started last week entitled No Excuse, November. November. We're talking about just tackling the excuses that all of us have that sometimes invade our lives that keep us from going to another level. Think about it. All of us in this room, you might be in a different stage of life, a different place of life, and you think, man, I wish I was like this. I wish I was there. And oftentimes, we can get there, but it's our excuses that hold us back. So we want to tackle some of the excuses in our lives. Last week, we looked at just this idea of what would it look like if your life you had absolute confidence in God, if your faith was in the place where no matter what was happening, you could trust that God was with you and for you and working through your circumstances. Imagine how your life would change if you had absolute confidence in God. Now today, we're going to tackle a different subject, but let me just start by asking this question. How many of you in this room have ever played the lottery game? Now, hang on. I'm not, hang on, I'm not saying the lottery. Some of you are like, now, talking about the lottery game, I, I, I'm, I'm, talking about the, I'm talking about the lottery game. Here's the lottery game, and that's just my, my name for it. The lottery game is when you imagine what you would do with all the money if you became rich. How many people played the lottery game? Yeah. Woo! that's what I'm talking about. We got some daydreamers in the house. Just don't do it on my time. Do it on yours. <laughs> Here's the lottery game, right? We start thinking about, right, if I became rich, what would I do? And for me, personally, you know, my, my parents have always been very blue-collar. I would absolutely buy my parents a brand-new house. The entire time we were growing up and still all these years later, I've only known my parents ever to have one new car. It was told not long after by a drunk driver. And so they've always had older cars. I would buy my parents a couple new cars. I'd take care of my brothers, all my 5,000 Facebook friends in the house. Come on, I'm, everybody's getting some. woo Really, I, I, would put, I would make sure we got a permanent building ASAP in Lawrenceburg. I would be a blessing to the kingdom. I mean, here's the thing is, when I think about what would happen if I were rich, my mind immediately goes to how generous I would be with the wealth. How many of you are the same way? You think about all the things you would do for other people. We think about how philanthropic we would be. We think about all the giving we would do. Again, there's this thing on the inside of us that if we were rich, we would be generous. And what's crazy is some of you, man, talk about just playing the lottery. Some of you were playing the lottery a few weeks ago because it didn't get to $1.6 billion on its own. <laughs> My only heartbreak is no one in this house won it. But think about it. Somebody won $1.6 billion. And here's what's crazy is the interviews of a lot of people who win lotteries, you know what they say is, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be Generous. And so here's what's crazy is there's something again on the inside of all of us that we recognize that when we have a certain level of wealth or we have a certain level of riches that we should and we want to be generous, which the reason we say that is really because that's, you know, that's God's heart. In fact, I want you to notice there are, is, there's a scripture found in, uh, in the book of Timothy. Now, Timothy was the first mega church pastor. Back in the day, he pastored the largest church at that time in a city called Ephesus. Paul, his mentor, writes him a letter and he says this these words, Paul writing to Timothy to tell his congregation this right here. First Timothy chapter 6, he says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, which richly gives us all we have, or all we, all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. That they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now, here's what's funny is we read that, and we're like, yeah, that's right. People who are rich should be generous. People who are wealthy should, be, should share what they have, should make a difference and an impact with the wealth that they have. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room have ever met somebody that's rich? I know some rich people, know several friends with some people that I would call rich. Um, in fact, several years ago, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to sit at a table. We were at um, a fundraiser, not really sure how we, we got invited But we're sitting at the table with this couple who eventually we found out was incredibly wealthy. Now, you wouldn't know it by how they talked. You wouldn't know it by how they dressed. You would not know it anything by looking at them. But the longer we talked and we sat around this table and we talked about our ministry and their family and just chatted, we found out that they owned several oil wells on their property up in North Dakota. And he told us in the down, this was in the downturn of the economy. This is what he told us, that currently that their oil wells are producing 20,000 barrels a month, which was the equivalent of about 75, or I'm sorry, $15 million. They said on the upswing, they normally produce about 100,000 barrels a month. You're talking about $100 million, which I had to pick my chin up off the table. Come on, somebody. I was like, wow, is there room to adopt one more. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> But here's what's crazy. He, he's, ta- he's throwing out these figures. Fifteen. Um, it's weird, some of you guys weren't impressed. Y'all must be making more money than I thought. Fifteen million dollars per month. But here's what's crazy. As we're chatting, he I, obviously he knew I was impressed by fifteen million dollars a month. He points to another guy across the room and he says, "This. You want to know somebody who's rich? Talk to that guy." Well, we got to meet the guy he was pointing to later on. In fact, he was the keynote speaker for the weekend and a small gathering of people. And uh, the gentleman that was there speaking, his name was David Green. And you may not recognize David Green, but he is the CEO of one of some of your favorite uh, favorite shopping place. We have one of their stores right here in Florence, Alabama. He is the CEO and owner of Hobby Lobby. We got to hear David, uh, David Green speak and share his heart and his passion. They are, they are a Christian couple, very generous, very giving. But we found out that David Green is worth 5.1 billion dollars. Now, here's what's crazy is we're sitting at the table with a guy who brings in $15 million a month who looks across and he says, no, no, I don't have money. David Green has money. Now, here's what you need to hear about this is you got to ask the question. When, when Paul tells Timothy, hey, tell the rich people to be generous, there's something in all of us we always tend to think we're talking about the next financial rung up the ladder, right? Not talking about us. He's talking about the next... The guy making 15 million, said, so he's not talking about me. He's talking about David Green, rich. And so the question I want to ask today is who are the rich people? When Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich people in his church to be generous, the question we have to wrestle to the ground is who are the rich people? I mean, again, there's something in us we want to say, you know, it's, and man, it's, I don't know who it is, but it's, it's not us. And again, we tend to continue to, to push it. Push it up the ladder and tend to push it up to the next category of people. There are people, studies have shown us there are people who make 30,000 and they say things like this I'm not rich at all, but if I could make 75,000 a year, I would, man, I would be rich. There's people who make seventy five and they said, If I could make 100, I'm not rich, but if I could make 150, I would be rich. And then you get to people who make 150. and they say, I'm not rich, but if I can make 300000 And what's crazy is the line of being wealthy or rich continues to move down. And we keep saying, I don't know who it is, but it's not me. And so for a few minutes, we just got to tackle this question like, who are the rich people that he's talking to? In fact, here's, here's the definition as some of us wrestle with this idea. Who are the rich people? Here's, here's the definition of rich. Wealthy opulent, possessing a large portion of land, goods, or money. The lifestyles of the rich and famous. (laughs) And like right there, we read that definition of rich, and we're like, come on, pastor, that's, that's not me. I wouldn't describe myself as opulent. I mean, I don't know who it is. It might be the guy with the oil wells, or it might be the David Greens. It might be the millionaires, the billionaires, and the squillionaires, but I'm not the rich. Because for some reason, again, it's it's hard to recognize rich in the mirror. For again, there, there are so many things that it's easy to recognize, right? I mean, if God would have said, if if Paul writing to Timothy would have made it just clear, like all the Alabama fans be generous. Y'all have at it, roll tide, baby. Then all the Auburn fans and Tennessee fans and Ohio State fans and Ohio State fans and Ohio State fans. And Ohio State fans Alabama, you tow the line. All the Alabama fans, be generous. We would know who he's talking about. If he said, all, tell all the brown-eyed people, be generous. All the blue-eyed, I'm blue-eyed, I'm out. All the brown-eyed people, you take care of. It. But for some reason, it's a little harder to get our arms and our hands around. What does he mean by rich? If You know, there are a lot of things that Scripture talks about, and immediately when you read it, at least for me, I know he's talking to me. When he tells us not to lust, when he tells us not to lie, when he tells us not to, not to be angry or to lose our temper or to be impatient, like immediately when you read things like that, you're like, he's talking to me. But then you read things like where Paul tells Timothy, tell the rich people, and all of a sudden everybody's looking around like, who's he talking to? And the people of 50,000 say he's talking to 100,000. People at 100,000 say he's talking to 500,000. 500,000 say he's talking to the millionaires and the millionaires and talking about the billionaires. Like we just keep moving the line. The question is, who are the rich people? Well, if rich is hard to understand, let's talk about poor. Poor is easy to understand. In fact, there are no blue collar. There are no middle of the road in Scripture. In Scripture, God puts people financially in two categories, just so you know it. God puts us in the poor and God puts us in the rich. So if we're not sure who the rich are, let's just talk about who the poor are. There are something, there's a, lots of websites, lots of research you can do, and there are global poverty statistics. Let me give you some global poverty statistics statistics. You ready? Global poverty statistics tell us things like this, that one out of every three people in the world, one out of every three people in the world do not have adequate shelter. They're living under lean tos they They're living with plastic wrap and some metal, living in one room huts. That's their living room, family room, kitchen, dining room. That's the bonus room. It's all compacted in one room. Global poverty stats tell us things like this when it comes to food, that 1 billion people on this planet will not eat a meal today Not because they're on a diet 1 billion people on this planet do not have adequate safe drinking water Let's talk about money again because I think the poor it's just easy to understand the poor Poor people half the people on this planet live on two dollars or less a day Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go, um, I've traveled to lots of different countries, and we were in the the nation, the country of Lesotho. Now, trivia question, y'all pay attention here because you might be asked this question, and you can win the $100,000 prize if you answer this question. What is the only nation on planet Earth that's totally surrounded by another nation? And it's Lesotho. Lesotho is found in the southern tip of Africa. It's totally surrounded by the other nation, South Africa. We drove in. The goal there was to look around for opportunities to build Bible colleges and training centers to invest in the indigenous local national pastors to help educate them to reach and continue to reach people for Jesus. And so we got to drive around and meet lots of pastors and feed on the ground and just check things out. And I'll never forget, we drove several hours out into what they call the bush, two carloads of pastors, and we roll up onto this building building. It's the safest word. And when I called a building, it was a building made out of small tree trunks. Tree trunks for trusses that were tied together with plastic bags, old shoelaces, different pieces of torn fabric. The roof and the walls were plastic and rusted pieces of metal, plastic, whatever they could fit in there. And while we're standing there looking at this structure, a man walks out. And here, this is the local church for the local community. And he is proud as can be that we are here to visit him and to see what God is doing in this community. And we walk into this little building and we see there are probably 40 chairs and none of the chairs match. They're all different sizes and shapes and some are broken and cracked and some are black and some are white and some are metal and some are plastic. But here's the crazy thing is this pastor was so proud because it wasn't about the building. It was about what God was doing, that God was reaching people and saving people and transforming that community. And he was proud to be a part of what God was doing. And he pointed to his pulpit, and like that's where I preached. And there was a little platform where they led worship. And he was so excited. He was so excited to have us pastors from America because they have this mindset that we're rich. Anyways. And so we're standing there. While we're standing there, a, a, a man, an interpreter, is interpreting this pastor share his vision, what God is doing in this community, and how we can partner with him. And while the interpreter is sharing on behalf of the pastor the vision, this little lady comes out, fragile, small, carrying a tray. And on her tray is probably 8, 10, 12 bottles of water. There's 5 or 6 glass bottles of Coke. And there's 2 bowls of snacks And so the pastor tells us through the interpreter, hey, this is for you. I I want you to know you're welcome. I'm glad you're here, and, and we have these snacks for you to honor you. And so, man, all of us American pastors, we go up, and we're grabbing in the bowl, and everybody grabs something. I grab the bottle of water, and I have this bottle of water. The pastor doesn't say it, but the interpreter wants us to know that the pastor just spent his entire week's salary to get us these bottles of water. And he didn't have enough money to ride the bus, which was about five miles to town, so he walked five miles, spent his entire week's salary, and walked five miles home for me to have a bottle of water. I didn't drink the water. I couldn't drink it. I still have that bottle of water today. I I didn't want to insult his generosity by giving it back, but I I was too humble and too broken to drink it, knowing the price this man paid for me to have a bottle of water. Here's my point is, it was obvious in that moment what poverty looks like, what poor looks like. So let's just be honest. It's easy to see poor in the mirror, but we're not talking about poor people today. Paul says, hey, tell the rich people. Tell the rich people to be generous. So we know what poor looks like. Let's talk about rich because I know what some rich people look like. Come on, anybody here knows some rich people? Let me tell you about what some rich people look like. I know them. You maybe know them. Here's what rich people look like. Again, we talk about the global statistics of poverty that one in three people do not have adequate housing. I know some crazy rich people. I know some rich people. Their houses are so big that they have extra rooms that they don't even use. There's just beds and dressers and stuff in there in case somebody shows up and they need extra space. Is that not crazy? Their houses are so big that they actually have houses for their cars. I, it's, I know, it's crazy. We talk about, again, people who are poor, that a million people won't have a meal today, a million, or I'm sorry, a billion people won't have a meal today, a billion people do not have adequate drinking water. I know some people that are so stinking, filthy, rich, That when they get done eating, they scrape the leftovers into the trash. They have have storage pantries where all of their extra food goes. They have these boxes called refrigerator, all their cold food goes. And sometimes they don't even get to eat it. They got to throw it out because it goes bad. I know it's crazy. They are rich. I know people in third world countries I've been to that they say, I don't have anything to wear, which means I don't have anything to wear. I know some crazy rich people that stand in front of walk-in closets and say, I don't have anything to wear. And what they mean is, I have so much to wear, I don't really know what I should wear. Come on now, that is rich. You talk about people living on less than $2 a day. I know some people that make so much money that when their obligations are over, they still have money. After they pay their bills, they've got, some people have in these things called cars, they have just changed, like just changed leftover. Some people don't have change. They got coffee cans. Some people got dollars. They got so many dollars, they put them in banks to keep it safe because it's so much. I know some rich people that are going to run out of time before they run out of money, so they have to hire something called estate planners to take care of their money because they got so much of it after they're gone. It's so quiet in here. I'm just talking about rich people, and y'all, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the rich people, the rich people. Just, I'm just here to talk about the rich people. In case you're not clear, there's a website you can go to. I have gone to it. It's called globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com, and you can put in your income, and you'll find where you rank globally. And let me save you a trip. You can go there, but let me save you a trip. If you make $32,500 a year, you are on the global rich list because you are a global one percenter. See, what I come to tell you today is that when Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich people to be generous, he's talking about us in this room and us watching online. We are the rich people. Come on. Now again, I know we compare ourselves to the next person, but I'm talking globally. We are the one percenters. So I thought we could just do this today, maybe to jump into this message. Let's just say this together. I am rich. Let's say that. I am rich. Oh, I think we can do better than that. Come on, let's say it. I am am some of you like, I am. (laughs) I am. I am rich. So Here, I want to say this right in the front end, right? That people want you to feel remorseful about being rich. God wants you to feel responsibility. We live in a world that wants us to feel guilty. Whatever your level of income is, if you make more than the next person, then that person wants you to feel guilty about what you have. This is not a guilt message. This is a recognition message that we are the wealthy, and this is a responsibility message that God wants us to do something with the wealth that he's given us. Which means some of you in this room are like, Pastor, it was cold this morning and I got up and took a shower and I braved the cold all for a money talk. I knew I should have stayed home. I knew I shouldn't have invited my friend. But here's what you need to know is that the reason we talk about money is because we talk about money. We spend our time in junior high and high school figuring out what we are going to college for so we can figure out how much money we make. And then we work 25, 35, 45 years making money, figuring out how we're going to spend the money. In the middle of spending money, we try to figure out how to save enough money that when we retire, we still have money. So you better believe that something we spend so much time thinking about, God spends a lot of time talking about. And if you're here saying, Pastor, I don't think about money, you better believe you are primarily the person God is talking about because you never have to think about it. You are rich. If you go through Scripture, there are... 2,500 verses in the Bible that talk about money. Jesus, he does not let up. You step into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talks more about money than any other subject. Talks more about money than heaven and more about money than he does hell. And so it is a regular conversation because let's be honest, it's a big deal for all of us in this room. It is a big deal Now again, I want you to know that god doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money What god wants is our heart but what he recognizes and sometimes we fail to recognize is that Our hearts are directly tied and connected to our money And It's why jesus said show me your treasure and i'll show you your heart wherever your treasure is That's where your heart is also. He's saying I know what you're connected to. I know what you're committed to and I want your heart So if I can get your money, I have your heart what's crazy is for a lot of us, I, I'm, and I, I put myself in this category, is we're all about Jesus being a part of the income. We just don't like him having a say in the outcome. Oh, come on. We want God to bless. We want God to bless the paycheck. We just don't want God to have anything to say about the expenses. And I just want you to know that God refuses to take a back seat in the budgeting of God's people. Oh, I mean, as long as I got, we all, everybody's quiet. I might as well keep going. Everybody say, I'm rich. Ooh, I'm rich. What do we do as rich people? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Heart changes are best reflected through budget changes. Heart changes are best reflected through budget changes. When you have, and some of you guys know this, when you have a baby, babies eat formula and money (laughs) and time. Now, nobody has a baby and says, good luck, I'm not changing anything. No, we change our entire budget to take care of that baby. Anything in life, we go into college, we change our finances to go into that season. And God's saying, when you become my follower, you'll hear what I have to say about the issue of money, and it will change the way we tackle resources. So here's where we're at. So we recognize that most of us in this room, most of us watching online, we are the rich people, and God has something to say. So let's go back, since we blew by it and thought he was talking about somebody else the first time, let's go back and see what God has to say to you and I, most of us in this room who are the rich people. First Timothy chapter 16 come on read this with me. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need. Come on read it for our enjoyment. It's not about guilt. God has blessed us to enjoy what he's given us, but notice what he says. Very first to the rich people, he wants us to recognize that And you hear this throughout Scripture that there are lots of warnings to rich people. And here's why. Because there is a temptation on the inside of all of us as we accumulate wealth, as we move up the financial ladder, that we start to unknowingly trust in wealth and riches. We begin to tie our identity to our money. We begin to tie our hope to our finances. We begin to tie our future to how much money we have in the bank. And what God is saying is don't ever get so self-reliant on your money that you take God out of the equation. Remember Jesus, what he taught us to pray? He said, pray this way. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. Which, when God blesses you enough that you don't have to worry about day to day, don't stop depending on God day to day. Don't go so dependent on your money that you stop being dependent on God. He's saying, man, don't, don't put your hope, don't tie your hope to money. Don't tie who you are to finances. Don't tie who you are. In fact, I want you to know something. We should never tie our identity, not just to money. We shouldn't tie it to people. We shouldn't tie our identity to a career. We shouldn't uh, t- uh, tie our identity to anything or anybody because anything on this world is going to one day pass away. We need to our, tie our identity to something eternal, and that is Christ. Let's tie our hope to Jesus. Which means this, that you can be content regardless of your content. Let me say that again. You can be content regardless of your content. You can have a level of peace and joy just like that pastor in Lesotho that was wearing a fifth-generation suit in a building that no American person would ever visit. He was glad because his peace wasn't in the building or the suit he was wearing. His identity was in Jesus. Don't get tied to your money and don't be defined by your dollars. And so he goes on, he says this, 1 Timothy 6, 18. So here's the warning, now here's the instruction. Now, who are we talking to again? We're talking to all the rich people. Everybody say, I am rich. rich. Tell them, y'all are losing momentum already. (laughs) I'm doing all the work up here, y'all just sitting there. Say it again, "I I am rich. Tell them, the rich people, to use their money to do good. I'm good at doing good with money. I take good vacations, I drive a good car, I live in a good house, I buy good clothes, Mark me down, Jesus. I'm doing good with doing good. He goes on. He qualifies it specifically that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. What he's saying is this, is that God wants us to understand that he has blessed you to be a blessing, that part of what you have, the reason you have it, isn't just to put it back into you, but to use it to make a difference in the world that we live. He says that we're to be rich in good works. Everybody shout good works. We're to be rich in good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, that we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared Beforehand, that we should do them. Check it out. What God is saying is before you ever came on the planet Earth, He had a boatload of good works for you to do. But He didn't send you empty-handed hoping you could figure out how to do it. God gave you what you would need to fulfill the mission He gave you. So He said, Listen, some of you I've given gifts and talents, and some of you I've given extra time, and a lot of you I've given money. And the reason I've given you time, talent is treasure is so you can fulfill the good works I've given you. Which means the quantity of your works is directly connected to the quantity of your your wealth. You may not have as much as others, but no matter how much you have, it determines how much you do. God wants your money to have a mission that's bigger than me and mine. Yeah. Come, on. Come on. God wants us to do something with the wealth besides spend it on me to get something else that I want. Now, here's what's crazy is as you go through this, you find very quickly that even again, even though we started with saying, yeah, we all agree the more wealth someone has, the more generous they should be. There's something in us that, it, that says that about ourselves. We expect that about others. But do you know what statistics tell us? Statistics tell us typically the more wealthy someone is, the less generous they are. It's almost crazy. It's upside down that you would think people who are the millionaires and billionaires and squillionaires would write the large checks. And statistics say that the more people have, the less they have. And so the challenge is for all of us, and here's here's where it is. Before we ever get generous, because generosity starts at 11%. Let me say that again. Generosity starts at 11% because God calls all of us as Christ followers. If you don't love Jesus and you're checking things out and you're not a person of faith, you can just sit back and check it out and be like, go ahead, pastor, but I'm out. But if you're here and you love Jesus and you're a Christ follower, God calls all of us in this room to be percentage givers, which means no matter how much you make, we all give the same amount because God calls us to bring back to him a dime out of every dollar. God calls us to be tithers. It just keeps getting quieter the longer I preach. Is there a wall here? Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, or Malachi chapter 3 tells us to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. We don't give the tithe the tithe this his. We bring it back to him. Question, are you bringing the tithe? Are you bringing the tithe? The tithe is a reflection of our worship to God. It's a reflection of our ownership that it all belongs to God and I know some of us in this room, when you hear that, I know because I've been where you are. Pastor, I can't. You don't know what i got going on. I have got bills. I've got challenges. I can't get there. Listen, I have, I have my wife and I, we have done, we've done this. We've gone through this. We have learned to be faithful. I could not stand up and preach this with integrity if I wasn't living this myself. And we learned, learned it early on. And here's what I found out as a pastor. I don't do this anymore for, for time and different reasons, but... I have sat with lots of families, couples, and individuals that didn't understand the basics of budgeting. And the challenge in their mind to be a tither was out of, out of the realm of possibility because of their financial burden. And when I have sat with couples and individuals, here's what I have found out. Most people do not have an issue with a paycheck. They have an issue with priorities. It's not that we don't have enough. It's that we got so many other places we want to put our money that's not really a priority. And I'm just telling you, the first belongs to God. The best belongs to God. We don't give him what's left. We give him what's first. Everybody say, I'm rich. I'm rich. And so God says, once you learn to be a tither, once you bring the tithe, he said, then be generous. Beyond that, be generous. Generous and so check this out first timothy 619. Here's where it leads to when we understand that it's all his it belongs to him We're called our money has a mission to make a difference in this world He says this first timothy 619 by doing this by rich people being bringing the tithe and being generous and giving by doing this They will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future So they may experience come on. Say those two words true life This is very reminiscent of some words that Jesus said. In fact, Paul, I believe, is reflecting Jesus here. Here's actually what Jesus said. Check it out. Matthew 6, 19. He says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Come on, read it. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is not opposed to wise financial planning. He's not saying don't save. He's not saying don't plan for the future. But what he's saying is don't put all your bank in this world. Don't put all of your money on this side. Don't store up treasure in shiny, flashy, new, big, basic stuff. He's saying, make sure as you're spending money that you are storing treasure in heaven. Do you know how you get treasure in heaven? Because you can't find a deposit slip that says heaven anywhere. The way you get treasure in heaven is when you take the resources that God has given you, you understand the responsibility you have. When you spend it, invest it, and being generous to people who are needy, when you invest it in the kingdom, when people experience life change in the gospel, when you invest it in mission, when you bring it to the house and people's lives are changed forever, when your dollars are a part of people's life change and decision, that is storing treasure in heaven. There's no better place to put your dollar than in somebody's eternity, which you get a double credit because you get credit on this side as a tax write-off, and you get some credit in heaven. Come on, somebody. Can you do any better than that? Again, the challenge is for all of us is trying to figure out how we allocate it and how we do it. My wife and I are in the place. We're trying to figure out. I turned 47 this week, so let's give it up for me. Woo! 47. Good Lord, don't I look like 23? 47. Thank you, 25. I asked a little girl, don't ever ask little kids how old you look. This little girl, precious and sweet and innocent, said she had a birthday. And I was like, I got a birthday this week. And I'm pretty good at guessing ages. And I told her what I thought she was. And she said, close. And I was like, a year off. I said, How old do you think I'll be? She's a 57 (laughs) and I punched her right in the throat. (laughs) We're trying to figure out, like, we're not going to, I'm not going to work forever. I love what I do and I'm in it for the, for the long haul but at some point I'm going to put down the microphone and walk away from the pulpit and I'm still going to have dollars that need to pay bills. I'm trying to figure out my future. Jesus is not opposed to smart financial planning. What he's saying is don't never store up any treasure here, but make sure you're making adequate deposits in your heavenly 401k. Are you storing treasure in heaven? Are you taking dollars and diverting them to the kingdom? Are you investing in life change or your life change? Are you making sure that you are bringing the tide and being generous? Come on, because if you're rich. God calls us to bring the tithe and be generous. Come on, somebody. The problem is we, we spend it on ourselves and we invest it in ourselves. Several years ago when our daughters were young, I don't remember if it was Kayla or Lauren, but Shauna had made cupcakes for one of them because the next day they were going to take cupcakes. And I didn't know they were for her. I just thought they were cup family cupcakes. And so there were maybe 30 kids. So Shauna made like 31 or 32 cupcakes and I had two or three or four of them which means the next day they were going to be short. And Sean was like, you ate some cupcakes that weren't ours. And I was like, so we had to tell our kids, listen, you got to give a cupcake to every kid, but you can't have one because daddy ate yours. (laughs) And a lot of us in this room, we are the same way, man. We're taking what God has given us and investing it and spending it on ourselves. This is not a guilt message. God said it right in, in the very first verse that God's blessed you to richly enjoy what he's blessed you with. But don't miss in in allowing it to be a blessing to you, that it is a blessing through you. And so, last thing, you can write it down, tweet it, Facebook it. It's this right here. You do not need to be wealthy to be generous. You just need to be generous to be generous. Let me say that again. You do not need to be wealthy to be generous. You just need to be generous to be generous. See, again, where it started, we just think, if I could just get there, if I could get to that income, if I can get to that level of security, then I would be generous, Pastor. But what we found is people, when they get there, they keep moving the line. So the answer is, let's not wait until we're our definition of wealthy to be generous. Let's start being generous right where we are because we are rich. How many people in this room would say, Pastor Steve, I want to do a better job. I want to be better as a Christ follower at being generous rich in being generous amen father we just pray right now god that we would take to heart your word father we would take to heart your challenge and your call for us to sometimes lay down our excuses and to lay down our fears to let go of our bad money habits and god take what you have given us and use it for your glory god help us to be consistent in bringing the tithe and god to being generous to those around us in need Father, we commit with your help to be the people you've called us to be. No one in this room is perfect, but God, help us take steps and be intentional to move forward, to be the people that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, we recognize, God, we may not be as rich as our neighbor, and we may not be as rich as the person sitting next to us, but we are the global one-percenters. And so, Lord, help us to be, do rich well. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees. said amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys, man. Have a great week. We'll see you next week for week three of No Excuse November. Turn back Thank on. you so much. Hang on. Sorry. I said I would do this and my staff will, will browbeat me. Hey, listen, we still have this a great opportunity to do this. We still have some kids that need adopted. This is a great follow-up to this message. If you'd be willing to grab one of these kids off of the back wall, we have about 40 kids out of there. We've put up already about 100 that our church has adopted to take care of. So $45 a month, if you'd be willing as an individual or a family, or you just have questions, stop back to next steps and they will answer the questions to help you adopt one of these kids. God bless you guys. Thanks.